This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. It's quiet. Too quiet. I don't remember this part of the house misdirected. Things have been moved around in here. You almost fell over a tripwire. I think we're being hunted. Uh-oh. He found us. I knew he'd never get to us undiscovered. All right, I found you. Who brought the snacks? Ah! And with that, welcome to the 447th episode of the Misdirected Mark podcast. Tonight we're discussing using hunters and collectors as antagonists and allies in your RPGs. Along the way, we'll take your questions, comments, and examples live in the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. I- I'm going to go that I was I was some sort of hunter kind of yes. thing. Is that what yes, we're going yes. for? Okay, good. It you were felt tra- like an you were, early, you were very to... special Halloween episode of the. <laughs> yeah, it's because like I was like I feel like we're a bit early. You were, you, were, you were trying to you were trying to hunt down the people with the snacks. See? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not our best intro, but does a job. Yes. Anyway, yes. did the yes. job. So let's yes. do the thing with the thing in the space where we uh, yes. check on everybody's uh, well-being and whatnot. Phil, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, mentally, I'm fine. Um, I'm like, you know, a solid okay or better. Um, work's picking up uh, a little bit, which um, sounds counterintuitive, but honestly, having been kind of in low gear for a little while, it's kind of nice that it's uh, it's kind of nice that it's picking up again. Um, still don't like being in the office, dislike immensely. Um, do not want, do not want, do not like, um, physically, um, physically I'm actually pretty good. I'm just, I loathe my chair at work. Um, after, after 18 months of my game, like my gamer chair, um, my regular office chair, which is like some steel case chair, right? It's like one of, you know, it's not like a cheap chair, hate it. And so does my lower back. Um, not to the point where, not to the point where I'm like, I can't do anything. Just like when I come home from work, I go lay down for like 15 minutes and just let it stretch back out and it's fine. But like, I'm not comfortable in my work, um, in my work chair, which I know is like real first world problem shit. Um, but I, I just dislike it. Um, otherwise, like, I don't know. I think otherwise it's okay. Like our, you know, our county's COVID numbers are not like wildly out of control. And, um, you know, I'm still masked up and still, uh, you know, still being careful, but, um, I don't feel overrun, I guess is the way I can say it. Like, um, but anyway, that's me. I I guess I'm okay. What about you, Bob? Uh, my synapses are still firing. (laughs) I'm tired. I mean, you are in the you are in the um, fourth quarter of this move. Yes. yes. I, the two-minute warning. I have days left, and I've decided that I'm not even going to use days. I'm going to use hours because that's what it feels like. So, um, yeah, it's uh, barreling headlong towards moving day, and and uh, I feel like I'm not ready. <laughs> so, little bits here and there, just like, oh. No, no, I, I get it. But, you know, otherwise, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later I'm after the move 
Jerry, what about you? Um, pretty good. Um, the sudden change in weather gave me a little bit of a throat tickle. I know you've got one too. So I've been a little raspy, but I've been pretty good. I've been going to bed a little bit earlier and getting enough sleep. So uh, just kind of winding down. This is going to be with the three-day weekend coming up. Um, I've got, uh, we're expecting that like Friday and Wednesday and uh, Friday and Tuesday, Wednesday next week are going to be very slow days. And I've got like half of my employees either on vacation or out of the office or working special jobs that are, so it's going to be um, a bizarre weekend um, when I get back to work, but it'll be fun. So uh, I expect it to kind of be kind of slow. So we're just kind of, we're kind of winding things down at work and getting prepped for um, basically a, a, like, like, like half the company being doing other, other stuff this weekend. So it'll be kind of fun. Um, but it means that it's just, it's a slightly different change and yeah. uh, busy at work, but the days go by quickly. So it's not bad. All right. Cool. That's it. All right. I'll roll on into the one thing then. Uh, I am now an air fryer evangelist. <laughs> I know we have, we have talked about air fryers ad nauseum on this show. And I have, I have used like uh, the, the, the big round one, like once or twice, like, you know, it was okay, you know. But I got the Ninja Foodie, and I set that thing up at the condo, and mm -hmm. I had some pizza. I ordered a, a, a breakfast pizza from Just Pizza yesterday, and uh, normally when I go to reheat pizza in the oven, mm -hmm. I would take the pizza and put it in the oven and set the oven for like 250, set the timer for like 15 minutes, and like no preheat or anything, just put it in, set it for 250, set the timer for 15 minutes. When it dings, I pull it out. It's warm. It's edible, and I'm good. Well, I put my pizza in the air fryer, uh -huh. set it for uh -huh. 250, and said, we'll be conservative. Yeah. We'll set it for five minutes just to see, you know, what happens. <laughs> yep. I pulled that pizza out of that air fryer with a quadruply folded paper towel because I forgot to bring the, um, the oven. <laughs> oh, no. The oven things. The, 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 yeah. The, yeah, mitts. Not mitts, but like the, the just the square pad one. What do they call those? They're not mitts. Anyway. Um, the don't Hot burn holders. your hand shit. Um, yeah. I pulled that out of the air fryer after five minutes at 250. It was perfect. Yep. Yep. I was like, holy crap, uh, this reheated did, nice. Did you do it with, did you do it on air fry or did you do it like on bake? On air fry. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, put yeah. it, I yeah. put a, I put a liner on that baskety, that shallow baskety uh -huh. thing. Yep. Yep. Put the pizza on that, slipped it in there, said 250, go. And did I like, did I did I send you the link for the liners that like perfectly fit that basket? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you get those? Yeah. 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 They're oh, they're so good, man. Like that's yeah. It's so nice to just like pull out a parchment paper, slap it in there, and put your stuff on it. Yeah. Small tangents. Uh, while I was searching for those online, um, oh. I I checked the link and I looked at those and it was like, hey, similar things to this, and they had reusable like silicone ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. That would be more efficient and, and cost effective than continually buying paper ones that also kill trees. So I went searching and I went down a rabbit hole. And the mm -hmm. only thing they don't freaking have is 12 by 12 square. They have every <laughs> other damn size you want <laughs> except the 12 by 12 square. It's like, all right, whatever. I'll get the paper. But that's me. Jerry. Yeah. It's uh well we started our fantasy draft this week so we're starting to get back into football season again mm -hmm. that was always fun it was nice to get on with a lot of people that i don't get a chance to chat with very much um i enjoy football i'm not a rabid football fan um but fantasy football has made watching football a lot more fun because 
every game matters now. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's basically turning real football into a board game again, which uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I consider football to be a board game to begin with. You've got, you've got two sides, you've got turns, every, all the pieces move around. Every piece has its own special, special thing. Um, you've got, you know, you've, you've got, you've got a bunch of judges who don't seem to know the rules. It's like, it's like going to any good tournament. Um, and then you add fantasy drafting to that. And now you're watching, you know, now I've, I've got, well, there's a game on and it's got a team in it that I don't know anything about, but I've got a player on that team. So now I'm going to watch to see how they do. And so it's one more thing to kind of just keep, make, make something more interesting. And I'm a multitasker as Bob and I've talked about many times um, when I, I can't watch a football game. If I'm watching a football game, I've also probably writing something or playing a game or something and, or building a Lego set at the same time. So having one more thing to kind of keep my interest going works really well for fantasy football. So, but it's just fun. Um, I don't expect to, I don't expect to win a lot, but I expect to have a lot of fun with it and have fun with my friends. And that's really why I do it. So yeah. it was just a lot of fun though. Just be but, prepared to go down in flames week one against me. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I, I plan on, I plan on Bob's traditional luck, basically saving me on that one. Um, <laughs> especially opening, especially yeah. uh, what you call opening. All my star uh, players are going to be, oh, I pulled a hammy in the first quarter. I'll be fine yes. next week. But Somebody's going to blow an Achilles tendon out, something. It'll be gross. But it's fun. The trash talking is neat. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. And, uh, and it also kind of signifies the beginning of a new, of a new season, I guess. So. Um, there we go. So Good. that's me. How about you, Phil? Uh, yeah, played um, played I Hunt on Sunday. Um, once again, very good. I don't think we went very fast um, we did that night, like through material. We were kind of chatting, playing, chatting, which um, which isn't the worst thing, right? It, it's not a bad thing at all. Um, but I think we it, it's very interesting once um, once you guys learned, and I say guys because Bob's here. Um, once they learned a little bit more about the um, the target, um, they have decided on a completely different tact for how to deal with it. Um, <laughs> it's quite good. They, um, I was, wasn't expecting it, um, but I'm like, okay, let's uh, let's let's run down this rabbit hole. Let's uh, let's see what let let's see where this will go. Mm-hmm. So um, they they found out that the vampire in question is connected to the mob. And have decided that they're not going to kill a mob vampire. So uh, Tony was like, we just need to find another vampire who doesn't like this vampire to like basically do it for us. So I'm like, all right, let's make some roles here. Like you need to figure out like who that might be. Um, So they have a name and next week or next session, not next week, next session will will actually play that out. Um, But yeah, it was good. It was a good session. I like... uh, I'm enjoying playing in my apartment. Um, I think uh, other than Bob with the chair that keeps rolling on him, um, <laughs> I put, I put those great wheels on it and it's just, it's doing, it's, it's just doing the thing, which is it's rolling um, in a position. I think it's leaning back a little further than Bob wanted, um, but it, it doesn't want to stay. It doesn't want to stay yeah, in I that position. The chair back in the, uh, okay, this is good. And it goes, Nope roll forward <laughs> yeah it is like the danger of those super rolly wheels it's just like whoop. so but otherwise i think it was um otherwise i mean the session was fine yep um company was good and uh we just kind of we got um 
we got Anderson's. So that was, that was a nice, uh, what you call it? That was a nice grab. If you're not from uh, Buffalo, Anderson's is uh, um, like a Culver's, I think for our Midwest, for our Midwest friends, like a Culver's specializing in roast beef sandwiches and ice cream. Um, so got me a, got me a roast beef and a milkshake. So that's where I went today for lunch. I was out. I had to go out and get some stuff signed by a notary. So I stopped at Anderson's. I love, I they're not always the fastest place to get food, but I've never had them get my order wrong. Yeah, they're not they're not always the fastest, but it's okay. Yeah. But no, no, like, I, 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 but I will take accuracy over speed every day of the week on that. Sure. Always. I yeah. mean, I like to get the thing that I wanted to eat, so mm-hmm. I definitely, well, you know, definitely I'm, I'm for a, that. And I'm a picky bastard, so I'll ask for something. You know, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll ask for something specific, and they will always get it for me every time, without question, without any argument. I love it, so it's good. <laughs> So anyway, that's me. You guys have a couple of announcements. Roll on in. All right. The first one is uh, The Price of Coal is now on Kickstarter. This is uh, Jed Adcock's game about coal miners and unions. It's a card-based, prompt-driven storytelling game about coal miners and their loved ones in West Virginia in 1921. Um, It's about the struggles faced by those who stand up to their rights and about communities that come together through hard times. And it's about a history that should not be forgotten. Um, It's about the fights that we still face today. So if you go on to Kickstarter, Look for the price of coal. Um, I got to play test this with Jen and one of our Friday night groups. Um, it is a good game. It's it's got some serious feels and bleed in it. Um, it is a fictionalized version of the actual events of West Virginia 1921, which were tragic as the as if as uh, they stepped in and crushed the coal miners. So if you want to fight the if you want to fight against the the big company and fight the man, this is a game for you. Um, but it's a GMless game, so. Um, everybody can play it. It sets up in about uh, probably five to eight minutes, and you can play it in about an hour. Um, longer, depending on how many players you have, because you end up playing multiple characters that are interacting in different scenes and trying to go towards certain goals. So it's a lot of fun, and um, it's already I believe it's already reached its um, yes, funding I've goal. It. So I've got it up on the screen. They're, uh, they're at 18000 and change over there. Sixteen thousand uh, dollar goal. Yep, fantastic! So it, Congratulations! So it's, gonna, so it's gonna fund. Uh, so go and support uh, Jen and her game. Um, it's it's a good game if you want to get into that sort of uh, dark fun and uh, kind of explore bleed with a bunch of your friends. So over on Kickstarter, price of coal. Bob. Cool. <laughs> yes, just wanted to reiterate that uh, I am moving this weekend uh, for the live people. Um, so I will be setting things up, uh, and I need a little time. So we will not have a live show on September 7th, and consequently there will be no podcast drop on 914 as a result, but we will be back live on 914 at 8 p.m. sharp to do a show for you. All right. Yipper. Let's move on into everybody's favorite segment, the workshop. Mm-hmm. Go. Workshop! Workshop! It's another entry in the adversary files. This time, it's coming for you. It's going to find you. It's going to get you. It's going to pick you up and put you on a shelf. It's the hunter and the collector here in the workshop. Don't suck. That would suck. All right. Well, every time we do another addition to the adversary files, it always inspires us about another adversary. And I just thought of another one that we'll talk about after the show. Um, two weeks ago, we did the Fanatic. And that inspired tonight's entry, which is the hunter collector. So we're going to open up another entry into our adversary files. And of course, to get us started, Phil's going to define the hunter and collector after I do this. Behold, 
You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, we got a couple of uh, definitions we need to cover. Two big ones, of course. Um, we got to start out with the word hunting, the activity of hunting wild animals or game, especially for food or sport. That's the dictionary term. Um, and that's clearly animal based um, because um, if we're talking about RPGs, we need to expand it beyond hunting of wild animals, right? We could be hunting humanoids um, as well. For food or sport is another part of this definition that's clearly a uh, definition rooted in um, rooted in modern culture. Um, for our adversaries tonight, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the sport part. Um, hunting for food is kind of implies that you're hunting for survival and not recreation. Although if you're playing a horror game, um, hunting for food might be legitimately uh, its own form of horror. Um, but we're really just going to stick with sport because we're going to pair it up with our other adversary. Um, so, uh, which is the collector. So hunters are interested in trophies, right? Um, which um, leads us into another definition, right? Which is quarry, uh, an animal pursued by a hunter, hound, predatory uh, predatory mammal or bird of prey, right? It's a thing, a thing or person that is chased or sought, right? Hunters hunt quarries um, and hunt them for trophies, souvenir of an achievement, especially a part of an animal taken when hunting. That is right. a weird definition that they specifically specified predatory mammal. So like if a shark or fish was, or octopus was yeah, coming after you. I'm not you, sure. I'm, that is a, I realize you didn't make that one up, but that is a weird definition. I'm looking at that now. I know. Pop yeah. that, uh, I popped that out. It seems, I mean, it really honestly seems a little um, overly specific, yeah. right? Like it's the animal that's pursued by something hunting it. I don't know that like yeah. the second part is good, right? A thing or person yeah. that is chased or sought. I don't exactly. know. It seems easier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, trophy, right? Souvenir uh, of an achievement, especially part of an animal taken when hunting, right? Hunters um, in our definition for RPGs, hunters are interested in tracking something or someone in order to kill them and make a trophy from them. In other words, serial killers. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty much what it, it comes down to. All right. Ooh. Let's jump over to the other side, which is collecting. Systematically seek and acquire items of a particular kind as a hobby. That, I mean, that sounds much nicer, right? Like, um, so yeah, the collector is a person who is collecting something. They are seeking it, acquiring it, and then like kind of putting it on display. Uh, and the reason that we group these two together is that even though they have different um different approaches, they're really about the same thing. They're really about um, getting something for a collection, right? Whether it's a hunter collecting trophies of its quarries or whether it's a collector who is collecting something and putting it into their collection, it's essentially the same end result. So because of the overlap with these two, we kind of grouped them together in the adversary uh, file tonight. So Jerry, give us a few examples of hunters and collectors. All right. Um, we're talking about some from popular media. So the obvious one that comes to a lot of people's minds would be the Predators for the various Predator movies. Um, Definitely Craven. Hunters, right? Definitely Hunters. Yep. There's Craven the Hunter from Spider-Man, who is looking to basically best himself against the best prey. Um, if you are a fan of Marvel Comics or even the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have the Collector, who collects just about everything. There's Kivas Fajo from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, who tried to collect data. They all try to collect data. 
<laughs> uh, that's true. Why can't they just leave Data alone? Um, Sorry, that's a lower deck reference. No, it's okay. There's Francisco Scaramanga, who is the villain in The Man with the Golden Gun. He lures people to his island and then um, tries to eliminate them one-on-one. Um, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars TV show, there was Garnack and the Trandoshans from Star Wars who, uh, spe- uh, who specifically hunted young Jedi. They would get the, 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 the Padawans and the younglings and drop them onto a planet and try to hunt them down. Uh, that did not go well for them. Uh, there's Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, uh, who was very specifically hunting and collecting people for a very particular oh. reason. Um, and of course, there's all the various variations on the most dangerous game, which is always a group of people stuck in a bad situation being hunted by professional hunters to kill them. Everything from the actual story, the most dangerous game, to things like Hard Target with John claude Van Damme. Oh, yes! Oh, I was hoping you were going to name Hard Target. I love Hard Target. I love Hard Target so much uh, for many, many reasons. I am am more of a Lionheart guy, but I understand... uh, and I, under, I understand your love of uh, Hard Target. Oh, gosh, that's so good. I will, I will answer Lemmy's question right now. Can we have a hunter that doesn't collect? Yes. Uh, people like, like Francisco Scaramanga, he just kills them. Um, yeah. He doesn't really collect anything from them. But generally, most of your hunters are going to also have a, have a collection of some sort. But you can just have one that just hunts people down just for the sport of it. Yeah, I would say then that hunter really is collecting, for lack of a better term, right, the experience. The memory, the experience, or, you know, just, I guess, I guess in its purest form is probably experiencing the thrill of the hunt, but probably also enjoying it. But as we know, I mean, a lot of hunters, um, a lot of hunters keep trophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Good right. question. So with uh, good a good idea now of who the hunter and the collector are, let's dive into them and see how they work. Jerry, what are the parts that make up the hunter and the collector? Oh, well, first of all, they're going to be shaped by the desire. It defines who they are. It defines what they do, and it's going to kind of decide what drives them. And when we uh, look at it a little bit closer, you're going to see that they're all going to have some very similar traits. Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, they have a desire to collect something, right? Um, the hunter collector. Um, and can we just because I wrote it this way in almost all the rules, but are we okay? Like just kind of using them interchangeably. Yes. Okay, thanks. Okay. I, I may say both of them, but if, if I say one or the other, I mean both. Yeah. All right. Um, the hunter collector desires something, right? It could be a trophy of a worthy adversary, right? Like the predator. Um, it could be rare galactic artifacts like the collector. Um, or it could be other unique items. Um, whatever it is, they have an internal desire to have these things. And so... Most of them are going to have some sort of collection. Um, Hunter Collector, unless they're just starting out, are going to have a collection of some of the items they desire. And as a result, this collection is going to be housed somewhere. Um, And they're going to frequently visit their collection as it brings them joy to see the fruits of their efforts. And this will give a place that uh, they can be encountered or a place for um, players of the GM to have uh, information revealed. Yep, absolutely. Um, The Hunter Collector, they're never satisfied. Um, there's no stopping point for them. Um, there's always another item for their trophy case or room. Um, the collector will never have an end, right? Like, um, if it seems like an end, their desire will shift and expand their collection to include other things, but almost always they're on the hunt for something. 
especially something they don't have, right? The, the, the more unique, the more rare, those kinds of things. And so this is going to lead them to have warped values. Um, in terms of an adversary, the hunter-collector doesn't abide by federal laws or rules when it comes to acquiring their collection. They have no trouble breaking laws in order to add to their collection. Um, they have no trouble going against uh, cultural and societal norms and mores. And for the halter, this means murdering things. And for the collector, it likely means stealing things. Um, this doesn't mean that they might not have a moral code. It just means they don't always obey the ones that uh, regular society follows. Yeah, I mean, they could, they could have a perfectly good set of moral codes, but it will break down in the face of their desire. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, maybe they don't steal anything else, but they'll definitely steal for the thing for their collection. Yeah. Um, hunters also have means. Um, you, you can't be a collector unless you have a way of acquiring things for your collection. Um, otherwise, you're, I don't know, like, you're just nose pressed to the window kind of thing. Um, so it means that um, they either have the skills to acquire the items themselves, like perhaps um, a jewel thief, right, who steals things for their, you know, steals rare jewels for their private collection, um, or they have the means to employ others to do this work for them. Um, and if they, if if it's the latter, then they probably have access to some sort of wealth, right, like a business empire, family wealth, something like that. Um, they might generate wealth by acquiring and selling things that are adjacent to their collection. Like maybe they steal a whole bunch of jewels, but they collect only the emeralds. They keep the emeralds and sell the rest to kind of fuel themselves. But whatever it is, they're going to be able to get things for their collection. And to do that, they're going to have some sort of focus. Now, the collection is going to be their main focus, but they're not totally myopic. Uh, the collection is going to be um, expanding, and that collection is going to still be what drives them. And everything they do is going to be heading towards that focus. And as a GM, you can use that to show motivation. And as players, you can use that to kind of determine where they're going to go next and what to do with them. Yep. Uh, finally, they have their eye on something, right? In terms of them as an adversary, when they enter the game, there's something they want for their collection that they do not have, right? It would be kind of boring if like, you encountered a collector adversary who's like no i'm good like i'm good i have it all no usually like the way the way you have this adversary show up in the game is that they've got their eye on something and trying to get it is really what their story in your game is going to be about excellent excellent knowledge of the inner workings of the hunter and collector but what makes them interesting adversaries phil Sure. Um, the appeal of the hunter and co- the hunter collector lies in the collection and the means that they will go in order to collect things, right? Um, like if we look at the collector from the MCU, right, as seen in the movie, like Guardians of the Galaxy, like we're like fascinated and also terrified by that collection, right? Especially when we see his collection contains living beings. Um, that's kind of, I mean, it tells you a lot um, about about this character, but it also like it's terrifying, right? And intriguing. Like what else is in this collection if he's willing to collect things like, you know, the Sputnik dog and whatever. Um, in the comic book, that dog is very interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He, doesn't get a, he doesn't get nearly as good of a rap in the movies as he does in the movies. Um, anyway, um, if we look at the Predator, right? Like in the, in, the, in the movie, like we start off the movie. It's been so long since I seen it like for the first time, like I can hardly remember this, but you start off thinking of the predator as like some sort of mindless monster. 
right? Like, I mean, even Dutch says it, like, who would do this? Like who would, who would skin these people and hang them up? Like what kind of monster would do that? Um, He, you know, the predator is mutilating bodies. We don't really understand um, its motives, but then like we get to see that scene where um, it cleans the skull and spine and like puts it like away. And then you're like, Oh, we're like, it's hunting us in the same way that people who hunt animals like collect antlers and you know other like you know get taxidermy done right like that's what we learn about the predator and so um like we like then get a whole different insight into this creature so we are equally mesmerized by the lengths that a hunter collector will go to ex- uh, to expand their collection and also um repulsed right equal it's kind of like um we're both mesmerized like wow look what they're doing and then also like this is terrible and you look at uh, Kivas Fajo from Star Trek. He fakes Data's death in a summercraft explosion to capture Data and kind of throw people off. And then once he has Data, he threatens to kill his most loyal subject in a pretty horrible way just to get Data to perform. And yeah, like that character's awful. Yes, he is. Like he is absolutely horrible. He is. He like is a terrible. Per- I mean, literally, like faked the death to make like that like like thousands right it's it's the enterprise thousands of people think that he was dead just so he could have and even worse once he gets them you know he's got this follower who's super loyal but he's willing to uh pretty much torture her to death yes to just to get data to do to to uh perform a certain way yeah perform a certain way uh he's a horribly badass person I, i i he's a I love to hate him, and I and I, I I don't love him at all. But I love to hate him. So. I love I love the last second of that when they're transporting data back, and yes. they're like, "This weapon was in discharge," and he's like, nah, "I don't know." He just like hands him, hands him, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "I don't know, I, I don't know what you're talking about." Like hands him the weapon and leaves. <laughs> and um, I, who is the one on the ship who who realizes somebody I know gives data look like they know what happened and aren't going to say anything? Is it Jordan oh, I think Riker? it's Riker. Like yeah. I, because I, I think O'Brien or whoever's operating the transporters, like I think the like he's like they say something about the weapon being um, discharged, which the transporter can just do away with, right? Like, yeah. so the you know they're like, oh, I, you know, there's a weapon in discharge, but it's fine, whatever. He's transporting in, and uh, I think it's Riker or somebody who asks him about it, and he's like, yeah, I don't know, in true data style, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, so in many ways, um, especially in this hobby, right, and in geekdom in general, like part of us has empathy with the hunter collector uh, because uh, because in this hobby and a number of our adjacent hobbies, we are also collectors, um, hopefully like legal ones, but um, in one way or another, like we are collectors. I mean, Jerry definitely is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jerry yeah. has hunted for things to get them, right? Like yes, I have. sought and found. I mean, I've done it before. Like when I was building out my underground collection, um, you know, I was raiding, um, uh, eBay looking for the like the best deals to get all the like to get all my pieces for that collection. Um, so definitely, I've done my share of collecting, Bob. I know you have as well. Oh yeah. So I I think that part of the appeal to the hunter collector is like as as kind of as fandom geeks. Like I mean, on one level, we get it. Yeah, I mean, we can connect because we know that excitement of finding that rare piece for a collection and. Uh, how desperate you feel sometimes when you want to get something and you can't get it or when you want to get something and somebody gets it from you at the last minute Uh, we would never act on those impulses but you have this oh i wish i could have gotten this and that makes it easy to identify with the 
with the hunter collector taking that to the next extreme over um, i will i will say that my one of my um most exciting acquisitions in my gaming collection um was at gen con in the um auction house where uh i stumbled onto in the auction room a um first edition copy of whispering vault um it's a game i just i i love right i have i've personal fondness so does bob for this game and um the original comb bound version of the book pops up in the gen con um in the gen con auction house while i'm i was just sitting in there cooling off one afternoon uh and and my buddy had an auction number and i was like holy shit i'm like you got a bit on this thing. I'm like, and I'm quickly like counting out my monies, right? Like how high can I go on this thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like super excited, right? By the time it goes up for auction. Also, no one else knows what this game is. So I snatched it for like 20 bucks, yeah. right? Like, like nobody had a clue what it was um, or any relevance to it. Cause like people were buying like, you know, it, like a completely different volume of stuff. So I snatched it for 20 bucks. Like I was set, I was like, I'm, I, I'll go up to a hundred. I won't like, I won't go any higher than a hundred. And it was like 20 bucks. And I'm like, all right. Like not Score. only did I get it, yeah. but like got it good. Right. Like well, was quite pleased with myself. That's why it's fun to hit old bookstores, thrift stores. Um, the number of places, but I was still a field rep. The number of places I went to where you'd find the, comic book slash smoke shop slash whatever and in the back they'd have that box of games that nobody wanted anymore because nobody plays those games anymore and you're going through and saying you know uh you know here's a copy of you know it's a copy of the player's handbook but you know it's got a scuff on the cover so they'll sell it to you for a buck 50 because you know nobody wants a book that's got a scuff on the cover well no there you go um yeah and uh yeah that's how i got my that's how i got my um current nighthawks box set i was in a um game mm-hmm. store in rural indiana and they just had a box of like old games and i look in and there's like a full intact box set of uh star frontiers nighthawks and i was like oh i'll take that please i i looked out at the unfortunately it closed down this year there was a place in albany called flights of fantasy and they were a bookstore game store kind of everything and they had rooms full of used books plus lots of new books they had walls full of new games but also had these walls of just used games. They would buy and sell games all the time. And every time you went in there, as a when I used to go there, I used to um, take my camera and I would, those of you who follow me on Facebook, I used to like, I'm here for the next hour. Here's what's on the shelf. You know, Text let me know me. if you want something. Yep. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, and, and I would get that. But I came across, I, I liked to play the, the role-playing game Heavy Gear. And I was in there and up on top of one of the shelves was this little heavy gear box set that I didn't know existed. I had, I didn't ever see it listed in any of the product listings or anything. And they've got it up there and it's still new in box. And it's just sitting on the top shelf. And I'm like, how much is this? They're like, I don't know, uh, like four bucks. And I was like, that was why the other place and Phil, you'd appreciate this going to the complete strategist in New York city. Oh my goodness. That place is a treasure trove. It's got so much junk wedged into like, yep. it, yeah, it's, you, you will, you never know what you'll find. Oh, that's right. Senda's mentioning a place, um, black and red, um, which is in, um, which is in Denver, which is also like that, which is, um, just got a ton of old stuff just packed into shelves. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, we've talked about the dangers of nostalgia, but sometimes, yeah, right. man, sometimes you got to beat it. 
Now, Bob, right. Bob might Bob might remember this real quick. Those of you from the Buffalo area might remember Crazy Igors. Back when it was still the good Crazy Igors. Crazy Igors Discount Gaming Warehouse. You yep. could you could walk. It, it, you never wanted to sell them anything, but if you wanted to buy stuff, you'd walk in there. There would literally be piles of games on the floor because yeah. he'd get stuff in, and it would just you just like you'd have like you'd be like stepping over piles of games and modules. He'd be like, yeah. "Oh, here's the TSR section." There'd be be like. 80 modules on the floor you'd ruffle through them until you found the one you wanted and uh it was always good we, we always loved those terrible I, name the hidden hunt. gems all, all right. right so so you're gonna, you're gonna keep saying everything i say jerry <laughs> well not now <laughs> okay jerry now that we understand quite a bit about the hunter collector let's talk about how to make them a great adversary well first of all they're going to be great as an opposition they're a fun adversary to have coping your game because they've got a motivation, and it's not always the motivation that the players are used to working against. The real trick is the characters either have to get in the way of what they're trying to collect, or they need to be the thing that the hunter collector is trying to collect. Um, and once you understand that, you can easily plot out a good story for them. But beyond their initial advice, um, there's some advice we're going to give to that we suggest to make your hunter collector a really good adversary for the players. Yeah, first one is come up with something interesting for the collection, right? Um, the collector is defined by what they collect. So um, think of things that are going to um, that are going to get the character's attention, right? Like um, ancient antique books of of magic, um, rare records, uh, skulls of like fierce, you know, like fierce prey, things like that. Um, conversely, you can actually subvert this. Um, you can actually subvert this to make a very strange collector that can also be interesting um, by picking something um, super mundane, but put a twist on it. Right. So like a time traveler who collects like the forks from the last meals of famous people, right? Like they just keep appearing and taking the forks like, and you know, every time they take a fork, that person's dead, like before their next meal. Like that's an interesting twist. Um, but forks seem, you know, strange, especially if they don't know where the forks initially came from. Right. They just find this like display case with forks with names on them. Right. Not realizing that like this, you know, person's traveling back in time kind of thing. Um, so yeah, you can, you can do a lot with it, but really if you're building one of these adversaries, like come up with something good for the collection. Because next, you want to think about how they're going to obtain these items. Um, if they're a hunter, how do they hunt? What weapons do they use? Do they set traps? Do they have minions? Um, look about how are they going to get what they're looking for. And if they're a collector, how do they obtain these? Do they steal them? Do they hire people to steal them? Um, if you're the person that collects the fork of the last meal, do you sometimes make sure it's their last meal? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good That's point. Are you? Yeah, are you making it the last meal or are you just there because you know it's going to be the last meal? It's a good point. You know, that um, record's going to sell a lot more if the uh, artist is dead, that kind of thing. Correct. So. Um, you need to reveal what the adversary collects to the characters. Um, because of how much of an influence what, the, what they're collecting is on the collector or hunter, um, you got to put that knowledge quick into the hands of the players as this story starts to unfold. Right. Um, and this is always best done through play, like not through exposition, like have them discover this info um, kind of in the same way that Dutch figures it out. Right. Like in Predator, Dutch eventually figures out um, what's going on. Right. Like that, that 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 they're being hunted because they are hunters. Now, you want to make 
see if you can try to have the climactic encounter occur in a place where the collection is going to add drama. Because the collector hunter is going to be very protective of their collection. And as a result, having an encounter in their lair is going to make them more protective, much more fierce, probably push even more against their, their moral codes, um, and also give the players something else to negotiate with. Yeah, because now they're torn, right? Because one, um, they got to protect that collection, um, but they also got to like stomp the players. Like it's going to be, you can, you can get into some really good um, tough choices. If you're playing something like I hunt, that's a thing where you could imperil a monster um, by having them make, you know, a shitty choice between protecting their collection or going after somebody like there's a lot you can do. Um, it's it. I mean, it's fun to catch the, you know, the jewel thief. It's fun to catch the jewel thief. Like, like Wally's boosting the set of jewels, but it's going to be way more interesting if you can track them back to where he has all the other jewels. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So depending on what they collect, have the hunter or collector use some of their collection against the players, right? This works probably more like better with the collector, but like, if, like, if your collector collects exotic weapons, like, they should use an exotic weapon or a couple of them to go after the players, right? Like they should have some really interesting um, stuff, right? Um, Don't just put everything, don't leave everything in the shrink wrap, right? Like let them, like let them actually use some of that stuff. Um, If it's a hunter, right? Like maybe the hunter has, um, you know, if, if we're talking about parts of their collection, like, I don't know, maybe they've made claws out of, you know, one of their creatures or, you know, maybe they have an array of weapons that they use to hunt different creatures. So like when they come after you, it's not just like with like a rifle, they've got like net guns and blow darts and like all sorts of, all sorts of stuff like that. If they're the, if they're the kind of hunter that collects creatures, maybe they try to get the players, you know, into the pen with the, you know, Bartrathian rogue beast or something like that and you know let it tear the players apart a little bit all those kind of things work well but uh the actual character should start though with them obtaining something that's not the big thing they're after but just another important object that's in mind with their collection uh first of all because you want to build up to the big thing they're after so it can be the climax of the story and if you do things in scenes where you have the collector getting smaller versions or different things in their collection it helps to reveal the nature bit by bit um, think about your average um, Batman 66 villain or any of the villains from the Batman series from the 60s, 70s, and 80s where, you know, um, you know the Penguins will be collecting rare birds and the Catwins cat will be collecting cats and Mr. Freeze is going to be going after something made out of ice that's going to have diamonds in it. Um, all of those kind of work towards the character's motif. And, um, you know, in the early days, a lot of the Batman things were, you know, the Gotham Museum of Art is going to have the, you know, uh, encrusted, golden, gem-studded, you know, sphinx cat from Egypt. Well, you know who's going to show up and try to steal that thing um, or get somebody else to steal it for her. Uh, those kind of things can work you know, to your advantage and uh, play around with them. And it allows the players to kind of begin to follow up because as you start dropping in the campaign that there's a new, you know, that there's now a ruby-studded penguin that's going to be, um, you know, in somebody's collection, that gives the players an idea of where they're going to go. It also helps the GM know where the players want to go. Um, yes, Mr. Freeze collects, uh, early on he collected ice things and often tried to get uh, gemstones before they they improved his character by making him the tragic character he is today, uh, Andy. 
Let's talk about Mr. Freeze in the break. All right, Phil. Yeah, the um, the collector hunter works great for a one shot. Also works great for a campaign. Um, in a one shot, right? The collector hunter is trying to get the one big thing. Players are out to stop them. Straightforward plot. Um, in a campaign, the hunter collector can pop up and disappear. Right? Um, they're actually a great bottle episode kind of character. Mm-hmm. Like to have them just pop up, try to get a thing, and then disappear. Um, if you want to do like a story arc with them, uh, then it's kind of the long play for the really big thing they want. So maybe they're, you know, they're doing some deception, some misdirection, kind of leading up to the fact that they're going to make a big play, um, you know, which the players are going to have to discover what it is, then get there and thwart them kind of thing. But it works, works in both, works in both modes. Uh, lastly, the hunter collector might be trying to add one or more of the PCs to their collection or they may be the object of the hunt. And this is a good chance for the hunter to place the PCs in an unknown or controlled environment. And just make sure the hunter's gonna use that environment. Think about the predator, how they have invisibility and use the jungle and the trees to make it difficult to be targeted, even though they're outnumbered six to one. Or in Marvel comics, those of you familiar with Arcade, he's always capturing superheroes, normally the X-Men and or Spider-Man, and dropping them into strange arcade games and making them uh, fight against his robots as a way to um, assassinate them um, and makes it kind of a a game for him. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if uh, arcade is actually a collector or if he's a mastermind or he's a hunter. He's a hunter. He's a hunter assassin because he's not. Uh, He is a hunter. You're correct. Cause he is, he doesn't hunt directly. He employs his like murder world to do it for his entertainment. If well, he's not actually, actually doing well, actually, no, he does it because he's being paid to. Yes, he's a, he's a mercenary for hire. You you pay Arcade to to kill off un, to unsuccessfully kill off superheroes. Though <laughs> he's not very good uh, at it. No, uh, but you want to make sure though that there's going to be an opportunity for the PCs to use the environment as well. Um, this could be a lot of fun as the players begin to realize what they can use. Um, think about the 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 great montage scene with Dutch and Predator. Um, if the heroes have limited resources. Like if they have uh, lesser uh, access to gear and spell books, this can lead to a cat and mouse chase through several scenes and let them use the environment themselves to kind of give themselves an advantage. But remember, if you're going to put the characters into a controlled environment, don't nerf the abilities. Characters oh, with magic, psionics, and superpowers should still have the ability to use them. Yeah. Um, don't the don't don't do that thing where now the spell can, you know you can limit it. Say okay, you know you only have access to your low-level spells because you don't have access to your full spell book. Yeah, there's or, a dimensional anchor here. You can't teleport out. Yeah, that um, sort of thing. Yeah. But don't, uh, nothing's worse than the I'm a superhero with no superpowers thing. Um, that very rarely, it sometimes works in TV shows because it's because of the way that the writers work it out. Um, the There's a, uh, Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers. Nimrod is somebody who's a hunter and he likes to capture the rangers take off their badges and let them trigger their powers and drop them into the wilderness. And they always have to try to find a way to get their badges back, but use their skills ahead of time. That works because they have other skills they can use. But if you just, but if you just, just uh, go in and take something, it's going it, to, it leaves the players with just kind of feeling like, well, gee, my spellcaster can't do anything. Why am I playing this game tonight? Kind of thing. Um, so you want to always provide resources for the PCs to use during the hunt so that at some point they get to turn the tables on the hunter. And that's always a fun time. Mm-hmm. That's the way to go. All right, so before we wrap up this overview of the Hunter and Collector, how do we use them as an ally, Phil? 
Yep, absolutely. Right. The hunter collector works totally fine as an ally. Um, if we look at the collector first, right, the collector ally uh, is somebody whose collection might be useful to whatever the players are doing. Um, could be the exotic weapon collector, right, that the players go to because um, maybe they're, you know, oh, maybe they're fighting supernatural things. And like the, this collector collects all sorts of supernatural, you know, weapons. And it's like, oh, we need, you know, we don't have something to fight this guy. Let's go see our friend, the collector, who we can try to convince lend us, you know some rare axe or something right like it's uh you might um, be able to let them knowledge um could be right has vast mm-hmm. has vast library allows mm-hmm. them to peruse the library mm-hmm. um the collector might need to be convinced or coaxed into lending stuff especially if it's something like that the players are going to take away with them knowing that players are you know pretty destructive um <laughs> you know might not be fully willing to give up something from their collection um um so this might require a couple things it might require uh some sort of payment as in the players show up with something that the collector would like to have in the collection is like a trade um, or show of good faith um, or could be side quest time, yep. right? Like, Oh, I could totally give you this ax, but I'm going to need you to go get me, you know, I'm going to need you to go get me this thing or smooth out a thing with the, you know, with the witches, like who are angry at me, whatever. Um, yeah. So in addition to sharing their collection, the collector, um, uh, might just know stuff or have good contacts, right? A collector of art um, is going to know rich people. They're going to know forgers. They're going to hear rumors. They're going to know the value of something. They're going to know the history of a piece, right? So you don't just have to go to them to get a thing. Like Jerry said, um, they also represent like they're geeks, right? Cool. Like your, you know, your art, your art collector is an art geek. So, you know, if you need the lowdown on a particular artist or a piece or something, you know, or even the ins and outs of a museum, your art collector is going to know the deal. Yep. I don't yeah, know what else you either. need to know about a museum other than you going through the skylight. Always. <laughs> or you get yourself back, you get, or you Trojan horse it and get yourself boxed up um, inside a box of um, like dinosaur yeah, bones. There you go. Exactly. Um, or the collector could even be an ally, uh, a reluctant ally. You might have something where, the players are on a different mission, but that mission happens to revolve around something the collector wants. And now, even though he's normally an adversary, now he's a temporary ally because he will help them against a greater foe if they allow him to get an item of some sort or another. This is a good time to uh, have your players interact with a villain in a, in a particular way. But the hunter can also be an ally. Like the collector, the hunter's going to have knowledge, they're going to have skills and equipment. Um, they can also be convinced to help the heroes against the quarry if it's of interest. And as I just mentioned, they may want to hunt the enemy, but the players may have to deal with the hunter wanting to take a trophy after the hunt. That can be bad if you're trying to capture them alive and they just want the head. Yes. But they can be good allies. So. Yeah, that's our look at the hunter collector, right? That's This is our overview. We're going to check in, take a break, see what the chat room's up to. Uh, and then, Bob, but we're going to do all of that. But first, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the Misdirector Mark Network. Yeah, so the newest uh, streaming show on our network is They're a Super Geek, which is an actual play one-shot live stream created by three BIMPOC players to highlight the voices of marginalized folks in the tabletop RPG scene. They feature gender-marginalized GMs and a diverse rotating cast of players. Tune in every other Thursday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the Misdirected Mark Twitch channel. And apparently I have a mic problem now. You sound all right to me. Yeah. I mean, everything looks like it's rock fine. 
Okay, so so what is what now we're in the while we're doing that the chat room. So Andy, what is your question about Mr. Freeze? I think she was being cheeky. Oh. We said, um, who's going to, we know who's going to go steal that cat thing from the museum. God, I think okay. she was being cheeky. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I've always, I, I've always loved uh, some of the old Batman villains. There, there's a, I think we talked about this. I don't know. Did we talk about this last week? We talked about Batman and the Outsiders where Batman is in Japan. And I guess the Tokyo Bell building has a giant phone on top of it. And yes. This was, this was back in the seventies and early eighties when the Joker was always trying to steal you know, the big penny, the big this, the big that. And Batman's hiding behind the phone, staring at some villains. He turns to Katana and goes, I hope Joker never finds out about this phone. And uh, it was just kind of goofy. But I, I've always, I always liked that sort of thing. The um, big penny was always like in the back of the um, the Batcave. Yeah, I think that was, I think that was actually, a, was that a Joker thing or a Two-Face thing? I know that Batman got no tied, Batman or Raman got tied to it. And they were going to flip it in the air. And if it landed the wrong way, one of the other of them died. And they oh, died. if I could just have a, if I could have a, just a nickel for every time in Batman 66, somebody got tied to something. Yep. <laughs> Explain so much now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, man. We all approve heavily. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to take this person in leather and spandex, then tie them up. Uh, and on top of it, they're struggling. You're never going to get away with this cat woman. Like, Oh my, Oh goodness. And, and don't ban don't... myself off. Don't make me use this strange device on you. Right. <laughs> I really yeah. should just watch some more Batman 66 again. Like <laughs> very, 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 uh, very uh, influential. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, man. So uh, Andy also pointed out a good example of a hunter collector combo. The Vidians from Voyager. Mm-hmm. Vidians. Are those the ones that stole the, um, the, the organs? Oh, steal the God. Organs. Yes. Yeah. Not so much a trophy as like I need to replace these parts of me. Mm-hmm. I'm going yeah, to like take them from you. But they were definitely hunters for a hundred percent. Like they were definitely hunters because um, they were hunting people for body parts. Mm-hmm. Stole Neelix's lungs. Yep. I mean, from that perspective, you could consider the Borg to be hunter collectors because they would. Oh hunt, yeah, they would. They ah, would, they we've would already collect. classified the Borg. We put them in. <laughs> The Borg is a hive mind. They also collect civilizations. They added their distinctiveness to their own. That's true because you know what? Because they did. They didn't go after. Or they didn't go after. That they would be a good example of a, of a hunter collector because the Borg wouldn't bother going after races that had nothing to add to the collective. Yeah, they left. They left certain species alone. Yeah, when they uh, so so there so there and, and if it isn't obvious, as with all of our adversaries, you can cross over a bunch of these. Sure. So. You have a lot of fun with them. All right. Well, true, let's true. jump back into the fray here. Uh, we're going to jump into our roundtable portion with the following question. Yeah. Question one, what is your favorite collector, either from media or ones that you have GM'd or ones you've encountered in play? Chair? Um, in media, uh, Craven, Craven the Hunter. Um, depending on the writer, he could be obsessed. He could be canny. He could be tactful. Um, he was always trying to come up with ways to use herbs and traps to make life difficult for the heroes, but he always wanted to take them out himself. He uh, rarely ever tried to use minions to do anything more than just to kind of wear down the hero. The minions were never there to take out the hero. Uh, and while Spider-Man was his main adversary, he sometimes went up against people like Tigra, and I think he went up against the Hulk once. Um, I know he got tied up with the Circus of Crime a couple times, um, but he was always, uh, he, he was a uh, 
interesting villain because unlike a lot of other superheroes, he wasn't much more than an average uh, human. He did use uh, herbs and magic to make himself a little tougher. So he was about on par with like Captain America as far as strength and endurance and agility. But uh, he was more of just uh, just kind of good at using all the things he had, just make life difficult for the heroes. And that uh, was a good theme to use. Um, GMing, I had a uh, villain in, in V&V named Haphazard, and he was a collector of toys. He was basically a rich, a rich eccentric kind of spoiled brat who was always going out to collect the newest, coolest toys and would do things like shrink wrap an entire Toys R Us. Um, and more of a nuisance villain uh, for the longest time. Eventually, the heroes ended up uh, turning him to the side of good, sort of. Um, but uh, just it was interesting because whenever I would drop in that there was some sort of new collectible toy or, you know, the actor who played so-and-so on, you know, Space Galaxy Quest star was showing up at the local whatever, they knew that Haphazard was going to try to show up and collect this guy and put him into his collection for a little while. Um, never a malignant villain, never was actually out to hurt anybody, um, just kind of wanted to collect things for the sake of collecting them. And it was kind of fun to use because they knew that those adventures were going to be a little bit lighter, lighter hearted. So. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice beat change, like, you yep. know, you know, Baron Von badass and then, you know, switch it up to the toy collector. Like, yep. it's nice. Naturally. Right, Bob? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a, I was always a fan of Craven as well. Um, and big uh, Spider-Man guy you are. Yep. Yep. Um, although mm-hmm. um, I, he was one of those guys that um, the longer he went, I felt like the weaker he got and not like weak from uh physically but like weak from the way they wrote him um, yes uh like it, he, he kind of devolved in my eyes over the years but uh-huh. um but he back in the day it was always fun to see uh uh craven pop up and it's like oh spider-man's in for it for a while this guy's gonna make his life miserable <clears throat> some of the I iterations can't... of the animated series did a good job with him and a couple of them also some of them I wouldn't mind seeing a MCU version of Craven because the MCU winds up doing kind of some interesting translations. I, I would yeah. be interested to see what I'd be interested to see what a modern take on Craven. Like, I don't know if we need the um, like, I would like to see one um, instead of um, herbs and stuff like that, that it's like Oscorp, like, you know, Oscorp, you know, drugs and, you know, whatever for its enhancements and, you know, a whole bunch of hammer tech that works or, yeah. you know, something like that. They, they keep Maybe. talking about bringing Craven in, so. Yeah. We'll he, you know, he doesn't even need to be a Spider-Man villain. Yeah. If they do enough crossover, he'd be, he's, he's a really good street-level villain, so. Yeah, dare, he'd, he'd be a daredevil villain. Yep. She yeah, helped. You know. a bunch of yeah. yeah. What about you, Phil? Um, from media, uh, I have always been a fan of Predator. Um, I love all the good Predator movies, which is to say, um, I think all but like the last one. Um, that I I forget what I I can never get the name straight on all of them. Not the one the, where they the Predator is the yeah. last one. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that was I I wasn't thrilled with that one. But Predator one and Predator two, um, I have always liked. Uh, Aliens versus Predator, I liked. Um, uh, Aliens versus Predator two was not so good. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Um, Pre- Predators, the one where they oh. all get captured. And, uh, released on the planet that one's fantastic mm-hmm. um so yeah i i just i like the predator i like the i like i loved when i was a kid in the movie theater when you found out that this was like no mindless monster Ooh. um and there was a thing in the 80s like when i was a kid in the 70s bad guys were like 
bad guys were bad and dumb. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they were like they were they were maniacs. They were like unhinged. Like I think of um and I don't even remember that like the bad guy from Cobra. Yeah. Right? Like the bad guy from Cobra, the bad guy from um uh Commando. Yeah. Right? Like the bad guy from Commando was like he's awful. Like it's such a like it's just it's such a bad character. But then like in the late 80s, you started to see like much better bad guys and I attribute it first to Hans Gruber. Right? Like Hans Gruber was like for me like the bad guy of he bad guys. Yeah, like smart in like smart, not a lunatic in control, but still a thief. And the Predator for me was like that because the movie Predator is a sci-fi horror movie, yeah. right? It's a last girl movie for, I mean, it, for, I mean, it is, it's a last girl movie. Like it's, it, you know, all those guys get hunted down until Dutch is the last one left. Um, and when, the, when you discovered that the Predator is there, like essentially on safari, like I was like, oh, so this thing isn't like some mindless, like you know, jungle beast. It's an alien who's got like high tech tools and is here, like on vacation hunting, you know, human soldiers. And I was like, I like this a lot. And if I remember correctly, isn't that also McTiernan? Didn't he direct Predators? Yeah, it might be. Might be. Anyway, um, I also, if you've never seen the um, one, if you've never seen the movie, you should see it. Two, there's an interesting essay that talks about how um, all of the characters in Dutch's crew are various forms of toxic masculinity and that the predator basically kills them off in the same way that they're being toxic. It's, that's a great essay. And yes, John it, 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 Tiernan directed the, the first predator. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's what I mean. It's one of those things that like, you know our English teachers reading into it kind of thing. Like, I don't know if Tiernan set out to make an essay about like toxic masculinity, but as it turns out, when you go back and watch the movie, like they're all different forms of toxic masculinity and get killed. Um, Oh, we'll try to chromatic chameleons asking for the link. We'll try to scare up that essay um, during the rest of the segment or into the next segment. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really good. But if you think about it, like the way that um, uh, what's his face dies with the chain gun, um ventura dies with like with the chain gun and anyway it's good it's a good movie anyway predator's always been my favorite um media um hunter and then in terms of gm i had to really rack my brain i didn't have i don't have a lot of collectors in my repertoire but um a couple years ago i ran a swords for out swords without master game on a sunday morning at origins and i'm i know senda was in it because she consumed a metric ton of candy ginger during the um during the game but i had created another one of our dead gods and it was like the collector of lost things or something like that and um i basically had each um character tell me what the collector had taken from them like i think it was one person like their sister was taken another one it was like an, a, a weapon um whatever it was the collector had collected something from everybody and um, the whole swords game was they were um, they were going to get their stuff back. So that was a, that was a fun, uh, what you call it? That was, that was a fun Sunday morning adventure. Oh yeah. Now, what, now, what, now wait, this is a Sunday game. Are you sure that the collector didn't just steal her character's heart? No, no, it wasn't That's a, Senda, it wasn't a Senda's game. It was a Phil, oh. it was a Phil game. 
Send a plate in it. That's what I mean. I was gonna say, but that that'd be good messy romance though. Oh, I'm, just, I'm pretty I'm, sure Sendus was. Messy. I'm pretty sure what's what I I don't know if Sender remembers what they took, but it was um it was something semi messy. And then I think I think um, I think Gator might have been in that game. Nor Chris Schmitty. That might have been that group. But I have this. Um, I was trying to find my notes for it, but it's Swords Without Master, so like I don't take a lot of notes for Swords. Yeah, I probably had a picture and like a rough idea of something. Anyway, All right. I just yeah. put a link to uh, that uh, that article. In oh, the good job, nice. Bob. Yep. My Google Foo is strong. Good job. All right. Question number two. What do you think is the biggest challenge in running or going up against a collector or hunter? Bob? That is a damn fine question. <laughs> and honestly, I I have nothing to say on that. Okay. I'll jump I'll jump in. I'll jump in. Um I think um I think it I think when it comes to a collector, um, I think for me the challenge is making them a reoccurring adversary, right? Like if I'm making a one shot out of a collector, like no big deal. I'll make them super weird. Um, you can go run into their palace of stuff, take them down, whatever. Um, if I have to use this character over and over, like that's tricky for me because now I need like, well, I can't show off the whole collection or, um, you know, I don't want to like, I don't like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give up the layer right away. Like, how do I make this interesting? So reoccurring adversary is a tricky one for me. I have to actually like do a little extra work to kind of figure out how I want to have them around. I really like collectors as one shots. Um, or like Jerry said, like, just like, you know, that change of beat thing. Um, but like, I, I like, I can't, I, I don't think I've ever done a story arc with a collector. Like, having a collector pop in a bottle episode of one shot, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't think I've ever like kept it going. What about you, Jer? Um, Mine is trying to make sure they have interesting collections and interesting locations. I want it to be something different each time. I want to capture that feel um, that it's not just same old, same old. Um, I'm going to go back to Batman 66 slash Batman in the sixties and seventies. Like the, every time the penguin showed up, it was a different penguin gimmick. You know, you knew he was going to go after the duck or the or the bird, but why and what was he going to use and how was it going to be something, you know, interesting and uh, um, how was you know how was it going to play in and sometimes how were you going to build up the 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 stories so that the players finally figured out what they were actually going after. Um, that's always interesting because you don't just want to have it be you know, well there's a there's a jeweled bird downtown so we know the penguin's going to show up this time. That's not that much fun. It's more you know something's going on why what you know how to make it different and then once they're there they're not just showing up with you know um you know uh the, the amazing the amazing muskrat man is going to show up again with just a bunch of people dressed like muskrats what's gonna be different this time that kind of thing that's when you that's when you need the honest like you need the um bad guy team up where like the jeweled bird is in town and so like everybody's like oh the penguin's gonna make a squeeze for it but in truth the penguin's hanging back and like the joker is gonna make a play across town right well or if you really want to mix it up and have the players thinking you have the jeweled bird everybody thinks the penguin's gonna show up the riddler comes in and snatches it in before the penguin can get it because riddler's got beef with the penguin right now and next thing Mm -hmm. you know they're they're going at it or you could go full mama throw mama from the train and the you know the Joker is going to go get the thing for the penguin, and the penguin's going to go get thing the thing from the Joker, right? Go yeah. 
I, I actually, I said, throw mama from a train. There's actually a Hitchcock reference. I can't remember the name of the movie of. Strangers on a train. Thank you. Because throw mama from the train is not the primary reference <laughs> for that, that structure. But but I, I think that's someone that most, that more people would be familiar with today. Unfortunately. Erwin. I, I, Erwin. Really right. throw mama don't have from a cousin the train. Patty. Wow. All I, all I think of is throw Gregor from the train. And that's a completely different animal. That's a connex. That's a that's a memorable moment in our connex game. <laughs> All right. Oh, Question number three: What is your secret sauce when it comes to the collector hunter? So my secret sauce is actually what Jer- Jerry just said is his biggest challenge. Um, I love coming up with weird collections. Like um, I really. Um, I will really go out of my way to stop and try to find something really strange. Um, God, it just I, I remember we had a mark um what was it we had a mark for our heist game it was it was like we were coming back we were playing a one shot and it was like the ultimate elvis collector because i think you guys like stole elvis's car yeah like from the middle of a casino yeah um but whatever it is like i love weird collections um in fact i actually find weird collections fascinating when i discover them online when you find somebody who has like some like really esoteric collection. It's like, oh, I'll give you an example. There's this woman on TikTok who is like an expert because she collects it in Pyrex. Like to the point that people like send her pictures of like Pyrex measuring cups. And she's like, oh, based on that cup, that is like a circa 1965 like Pyrex measuring cup, like based on the font of the num, like for the numbers. And not that I have any interest in it, but I'm just fascinated that somebody is like, like somebody's like passion. Yes. Somebody's passion is Pyrex. (laughs) So yeah, that's me. What about you, Jer? I I just have to say, it just dawned on me. Talk about collectors with weird obsessions and collecting things that drive them to strange motivations. Nicholas Cage. He's a massive Elvis collector. To the point that he married, to the point that he married one of Elvis's kids, uh, and then got himself wow. So deep well, in that's that. a, that's one way to collect, I guess. I mean, he, he married he married Lisa. He married was it Lisa Marie Presley? Uh, but he, he's a huge Elvis collector, and then that got him into so much debt that he ended up doing all those strange movies. So, you want a strange collector with motivations? There you go. Um, but no, I like a collector who uses his collection either as information or as actual weapons. Um, the players have to end up going up against the collection. I had a recurring villain in VNV again named Piecemeal. And he was a villain who collected unusual gear that eventually powers from heroes and villains alike. He ended up getting a piece of gear that allowed him to steal powers. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but he would often try to get like the, you know, so to put it in, in, in Marvel comics, they, he tried to get like Dr. Doom's glove. He would you know try to steal Captain America's shield. He tried to get, you know, the arc reactor from Iron Man's chest, that kind of thing. Um, and what made him interesting was not only that he would get obsessed with collecting something, but every time they went up against him, you had no idea, they had no idea what other gear he'd collected. And sometimes it would be going on in the background that you know <laughs> they went up against a villain and that villain was underpowered because Peacefield had stolen something big for them already. And now they know they're going to be dealing with you know, the atomic axe and the silver surfboard kind of thing. Um, it just made him, he was an interesting villain to have pop up. Uh, the, the key was to feed his uh, collection in other adventures. When they would find out that he was already collecting stuff, 
and eventually was going to be coming after something that the players had because he always wanted it and could never get it. Um, in one case, it was one of the players themselves he wanted to collect. Uh, he figured out well, he figured out that one of the characters was an energy source, and that he could just strap that character to his back and suck their energy dry to power other things. So, um, yeah. So every time he popped up, he was fun, and they never knew what they were going to deal with each other, which gave me a chance to change him for each for each team when they when he showed up. So it was fun. Um, but that's the thing, you know, no matter who I have as a collector, have them use their collection, have them use the stuff they've got. Um, it means the players aren't going to be able to threaten it as much, but it does mean that there's going to be some theme to the final encounter. You know, you're going to have, you know, a horde of birds or lots of, you know, bad guys skating around on ice skates with hockey sticks or something that, you know, makes it thematic at the end. So it's more fun. Mm -hmm. uh, as terrifying as they could be in a superhero game, my collectors tended to be uh, kind of one joke, you know, kind of a jokey knockoffs in horror games the collectors were much more oh, disturbing yeah. yes you know, well the, you know, as we said as we said at the beginning of the uh yeah. as we said at the beginning right serial killers are horror like serial killers are collectors and they are horror characters we we we, we had a horror villain who collected the skins of his victims and would then animate them at the end to fight the players <laughs> that was just creepy as hell it's gross so it worked it worked i've done and my share of horror characters like that these were villains so this is our look at the horror at the horror collector. Thank you. This is our, this is our look at hunters and collectors. Moving on. We uh, hope the next time you want to use one of them in your game, you will find some of this information to be helpful. Now we're going to check in with the chat room one more time before we head over to the conversation corner. Oh man. Um, oh, I love uh, what you call it. I love a good. I love a good serial. I love a good serial killer who collects weird things. Yeah, and any kind of weird collection is always fun. Uh, yes. Interesting. Um, I mean, I can't take full credit for that. The first time I saw um, Silence of the Lambs, I was completely freaked out when, like, you find out what, what like, when you find out what it's all about, you're like, oh, yeah. God. Like, no, like, like, this is way worse than I thought it was. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Well, so, we're, we're basically all up to speed here, so. Let's uh let's fire roll convo. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't help but think um when you mentioned the time traveler collecting the forks, I'm I'm imagining a time traveler in Star Trek going around uh collecting uh com badges from captains. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would that would be um what's call it? That would be amazing. Yeah. Would be to um, what you call it. Um, um, that would be absolutely wild. Just to have a character show up. Actually, I don't. I don't. I don't know if you remember the TNG episode because I don't think we watched it when we did our um, our viewing because it was it was a kind of a bottleish episode. But do you remember the guy who came? They thought he was from the future. Yep. But he was like from the past, and he was like there to. Um, there to collect technology yep. so he could take it back in the past and invent it. Yep. Yeah. But he kept telling everybody he was from the future and things were going to happen. And he's like, but I can't tell you, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. That was Max. Right. That was Matt Frewer. Yes, that was, yes, that was, thank you. Thank you. Oh, wow. There you go. Yep. Yeah. What a, um, what's called, that's a fantastic episode that has one of my favorite. Um, Cause again, he tries to take data. Right. And at the end, data says to him, I assume that I assume that your palm print will open this will open this door, whether you are conscious or not. Yep. <laughs> oh, the great scene. And that was that is one of data's um, fuck around and find out moments. Yep. 
And unfortunately, a lot of people tested that theory and they found out. Yeah. I don't mess with data, man. Don't mess with data. All right. So uh, as we mentioned up at the top, uh, I'm counting down the hours until my final move. Um, I am barely keeping up with shows, mainly just What If and Lower Decks right now. Um, Although I did watch another episode of uh, Kung Fu today, um, which is building to its climax. Um, It's a good episode, too, because they got to take down a bunch of arrogant frat boys that that needed to get uh, taken to town. But uh, it's uh, like every day is kind of blurring into the next as I get like 8 billion steps a day and... (laughs) You know, change my shirt multiple times a day because I sweat through it from all the hiking back and forth through the sun. And it's like, oh, man. Good times. Oh, and boy, dude, I definitely, uh, let's call it, um, I definitely there. sympathize. <laughs> I was there like two months ago. And then it's like, you know, I go to pull a box out of the trunk of the car and I'm like, oh, I overloaded this box. Why did I overload this box? <laughs> this is heavy box that should have been left for the movers to move, not me. Uh, you know, in, in that, I was very fortunate that, um, that I have a, a 16 year old son who I was yeah. like, boy, I'm like, I say, I say, boy, come over here pick, and help pick this up. Your old man, your old man is, uh, there. there were only a couple of times where I had to like do something, um, super heavy by myself. And there were a couple of times where I kind of pushed my bad arm, um, to like, like to its limit and like had to go lay down after I was done. Yeah. Like. Well, I'm going to take in a leave and I'm going to go lay down now because my arm is like, my arm is furious with me for that nonsense. Frequent breaks, uh, cold water. Like I keep my water bottle in the refrigerator while I'm drinking out of it Mm -hmm. so that it's nice and cold to to bring my core temperature down. That was one of those, get one of those Yeti ones that just stay cold for like three days. (laughs) One of the things I did early on when I first moved, when I first got the keys to my place was put a water bottle in the fridge for the longest time. All I had in the, in my fridge was a water bottle um, just so that when I got here, um, I had something cold to drink to kind of cool off that kind of thing. That's important. Yes. Just this weekend when we were, when we were loading up the van, there was a point where Bob was boxing up in the house and I was standing in the van for like five minutes and I was sweating through my shirt, just standing in the van, not exerting any effort. Yep. It was ridiculously hot. It was not a good day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a lot done, though. Yeah. I think it worked. But, yeah, uh, yeah I've, been, I've been getting a ton done, so uh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's all good. Still a lot left to be done, but certain things I'm, I'm kind of, like, pushing to the back burner because they're not as important right now as getting over here to the house and cleaning out some more crap because i got to empty it out. So It's the um, – it's honestly – it, I, I think the worst part is after the movers are through and there's just like the little bits that are left mm-hmm. is a lot. Yeah. Um, which call it like, you just, you know, you're already exhausted and then it's like, Oh man. Yeah. Like there's always something else that has to get brought over. Other than that, uh, Phil mentioned we had, I hunt on Sunday. Uh, it was a good time. Um, Always a pleasure playing with Tony at the table because Tony will just throw his character into the deep end of the pool emotionally, <laughs> mentally. Just like that character's not all right. <laughs> Geo, I, I, right. I think I think he's getting better. Like I think yes, he's, he's like recovering better, a little. But yeah, he's uh, he's uh, well. You know what? What I love that Tony brings to the game is that like, um, he brings like the realism, like you do the eye hunt thing and he's like, wait a second. My character is definitely not okay. Like doing this, yeah. like, like he's not like, 
like he's not just okay murdering this wizard that like is clearly a bad guy like there's no doubt yeah there's no doubt the wizard is a bad guy and tony could have just written it off like that but he's like no like this guy looks human so no i i have problems with it and now i'm gonna and now i'm gonna blow up at work because i'm freaking out yep so I, I always give him credit. Like he always takes his character another notch where he could have just been like, Oh no, no, it's a, you know, it's a hunt and I've made my peace with it, but he's like, Nope, I haven't. Yep. Good times. Good times. Uh-oh. And of course we've got NBA this Sunday. Uh-oh. Looking forward to that very much. Oh, me too. Yeah. That's on mine too. I'm going to save it for when I get to talk about my part, but Oh, I am too. All right. That's Uh-oh. enough for me, Jerry. Um, Spent a lot of time catching up on movies I hadn't seen before, movies people talk, told me I should watch. Um, so I caught a couple of things on uh, stars and Netflix and that. I uh, also caught a weird little movie called Killing Gunther. It is a, it's written by Taryn Killiam from um, Saturday Night Live. And it is a mock documentary uh, where basically a hitman kidnaps a documentary film crew so that they can document him and his group of assassins trying to kill off the world's best assassin and the world's best assassin decides to take them out at the same time and it's a comedy um and the world's best assassin turns out to be arnold schwarzenegger as gunther um who's just hamming it up to no end so it's it's a short fun fun little movie um it's 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 obviously done in Uh-oh. a documentary and some of the action scenes get interesting because um, like there's a point where there's a big gunfight where some of the cameramen get killed. So the cameras are stuck at odd angles during the action scenes. One camera gets kicked. So you see it spitting while they, so they, they did some fun playing around with it, but it was fairly fast paced and fun. Huh. Um, yep. Uh, it's, it's on, I think it's on Netflix. Um, uh, got a couple other movies. I got to see, um, oh, what was the one that we just talked about? Uh, uh, Titan AE. I'd never seen it before. Oh. Um, so it was interesting. It was interesting to see it. So. Kind Bob of loves that it. movie. Yeah, Jerry um, and I had a long discussion about it because he was not yeah. as enamored with it as I was. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I, I I could see why it was a thing at the time, but just it it didn't. It, but it was not horrible. I'm not upset. I saw it. it. Just wasn't didn't didn't light me up. But it was definitely a Don Bluth film. And if you like Don Bluth films, it's definitely a Don Bluth film. And I don't mean that as an as an insult at all. I mean it's it it just feels like a Don Bluth film. You got all the characters. If you liked playing things like space ace and dragon's lair this movie has all of those kinds of things in it so that was kind of neat there was some nostalgia involved in it um of course watched what if and lower decks excited mm-hmm. about playing night black agent this week uh but uh the two big things uh the first is um we're doing a friend of mine that comes over and every other week we do lego night on sundays and uh so we've been building we just basically hang out eat food and sort of watch tv <laughs> and just build stuff so i've been actually tackling some of the bigger lego sets the ones uh that take, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours to put together. So I'm slowly getting those things put together. That's been a lot of fun to actually get some of these things that I've been putting off for a long time. This time I built the French Cafe, um, which is really nice and will be a, a nice set piece for a game someday. Uh, and lastly, I've been diving in with both feet into Discovery, um, Star Trek Discovery. Um, as they promised after the first three episodes, it really took amazing and without giving any reveals, just there was stuff I did not see coming. And season two started out and they drop in Captain Pike and he is an incredible character right from day one. Um, and uh, as you guys, it's no secret that I like shows with good characters in them and Discovery 
has very complicated characters yep. that are all amazing. Even the ones you hate, you hate because they're well done. Yep. And uh, so I, I'm really enjoying Discovery. And uh, uh, like I said, once I got over my my Klingon thing, I, I just I, I've been loving the thing all the way through. So um, cannot speak highly enough. And the things that a lot of people didn't like, like the score drive, I'm like, I don't care. It's a good story. Keep going with it. I'll yeah. be happy with it. I was good once I actually watched the episodes that explained it. Like when I heard it externally, I was like, well, this sounds dumb. And then like yeah. when I watched the episode, I'm like, uh, no, this is great. Yep. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. No, it's yep. fine. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're right. It's each, each so far as what uh, the fact that each season is basically one great big long episode split up into 14 parts has been perfectly fine. Um, because you, because knowing that they're building towards something makes it easier take some of the slower pacing that they have to do to get some of the stories across exactly so, okay you know we're building they're just going to skip over some stuff and talk about this character this time or that character sometime and um and well, you know which is a bit of a thing because you know most star trek is um episodic right yeah. i mean even d even deep space nine which had like continuing arcs really was episodic until the last mm-hmm. season when the last season was the last half of the last season was basically you know one episode yeah. but you know, for the most part, you know, you have episodes that, you know, might connect together, you know, have some bottle things, but that that's not the case with, um, with disco. There's no bottle episodes in disco disco, just like there's 14 or 15 episodes in a season and it's yeah. just a straight flat run, mm-hmm. um, to the end. And they will bring back characters you thought were dead, but weren't quite sure there will be allegiance changes. There will be reveals. Uh, I, I don't think there's any, I think every romance in this show is a messy romance. And yep. That's wonderful. Uh, it's it's got some good stuff in it, uh, and just that's a power of math, people. That that line made me almost jump for joy. <laughs> yep. I'm telling you, I want I want that Tilly T-shirt. Yep. <laughs> I just love her. I love her so much. Uh, yeah, she's a great kid. So it's fun. All right, so that that that's me, Phil. Um, of course, I did. You know, most of the same things you guys did. Lower decks was lower decks was fantastic. In fact, lower decks, um, without giving anything away, did a trope um, that uh, I thought was hysterical. Um, that has to do with um, characters uh, returning, um, which I thought was hilarious, and the way they played it out was great. Mm-hmm. Um, what if um, I liked? What if I don't think I was blown away by that episode? I think it was like you know, in a cool kind of. I I, I think the problem for me is. It's not a problem. The what if episode was fine. The second one is so good. Yes. That like this one was perfectly fine, but I was like, oh, but but the second one, yeah. like it's um I wanna I wanna see the sequel to what happens in this one. Yeah. Uh, this one was really, really good, but you end with okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very excited. Um Doctor Strange is gonna make his appearance mm-hmm. in uh yes. this week's with an interesting so that's, premise too. Yeah, I didn't even look at anything else. I I heard Doctor Strange was coming, and I was like, okay, I'll just not. I'm not going to watch anything else about this. Um, I'm watching Shira. I'm almost done. I'm down to like the last two episodes of season one. Um, I love this show. It's um, it's adorable. Oh, it just um, keeps getting better after season one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, season one was excellent. So if it's gonna if it if it actually gets better than season one, I'm very excited then because season one was um, season one's great. Um, I have no complaints about this show. It's totally enjoyable. Um, I like watching it. Um, I like some of the subtle things, um, just some of the representation that's done uh, without drawing any without drawing any attention to itself. Yeah. Um, even just the little things, like um, like Glimmer is like you know Glimmer's the thicker girl, yeah. and like 
I mean, no, there's nothing like there, it, it doesn't, the show doesn't pay any attention to it. Right. Yeah. Like just, no. this is glimmer. This is who she is. Uh, and it's great. Like, it's just, you know, it's that fantastic. So yeah, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. I'm watching it. Um, they're going pretty quick because <laughs> they're short episodes. Yeah. Um, yep. I think when I'm done with She-Ra, mm-hmm. I may go back and binge the X-Files. Like, I think that may be my next, uh, mm-hmm. my next binge, but I got plenty of She-Ra ahead of me. So I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, I am actually excited as well for the NBA thing um, for Night's Black Agents. Midweek, I had a, um, one of those um, all hands day long meetings. And my um, technique for not falling asleep in those meetings is to kind of jot game notes while I'm in the meeting. Like, you know, I'm still paying attention to what's going on, mm-hmm. but like in this, you know, in the in-between parts, like, you know, I, I write some stuff down. Well, I knocked out like eight full pages of um, NBA notes about who and what the vampires are, which is a huge part if you're GMing Knights Black Agents. Knowing, knowing what the vampires are tells you everything about what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. It tells you about the conspiracy the players are going to find, the goals of the vampires, how the vampires work. Like these are all things the players will get to discover through the course of the game. So I didn't have much of that um, until last week. And then um, I got it and uh, I got it all written down and I was very pleased with it. Like I, I finished it and I was like, this is good. Like I can like I can work with this. There's plenty of stuff in here. This will be interesting for the players. I'm excited. So, um, and then last night, I came up with what the first adventure is. So I have not fully prepped it. I have to do all the prep work to get it written this week. Um, And I have plenty of time on Friday and Saturday to do that. But I know what it is, um, which was kind of the big one, because it's the first episode is um, how do the players collide with the vampire conspiracy? Yeah. So... I, you know, was racking my brain about it because you guys have a particular, um, based on your skill set, you you basically do um, thefts and retrievals. Like you extract people, you steal items, and I was like, okay, how am I how how am I going to put this together? And then like have you run into the vampire conspiracy? And I got it. <laughs> so go. I, I'm I'm pleased with it. It will um, it is the kind of opening that should get a what the fuck. And then a whole bag of clues that you can then, after that, um, chase down. Like, there'll be just a, like, my goal is in this first episode is to just, like, give you, like, a big old satchel full of clues that you can put up on your murder board. And then um, you can start deciding, like, okay, we should chase this thing down. We should chase this thing down. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like, those are the two things I've been concerned about with the game. I, I reread, I've been rereading the game and it's great, but I was like, who are these vampires and how are we getting this thing started? And now that I have both those questions answered, I am like, yes, let's get, let, let's get prepping. Let's get playing on Sunday. Totally excited. Uh-huh. Last thing for me, before we get out of here, um, I had some, uh, I did some good cooking this weekend. I made some homemade chicken teriyaki came out great. Um, and I made my, um, I made my um, Sunday um, scallion pancakes and pot stickers like I do every month. And I am here to tell you, Jerry, in case you don't know this, um, frozen pot stickers yeah. will air fry. Oh, I don't doubt that. I air fried them and uh, you just got to hit them with a little oil mm-hmm. and throw them in the air fryer, flip them over, hit them with a little oil, air, keep, and then air fry them again. 
Okay. They were delicious. Crispy on the edges, still chewy on the sides, insides nice and hot. Uh, And the nice part was while I was air frying those, um, I was able to make the scallion pancakes. So I got to actually eat faster because normally I make scallion pancakes, put them in, um, put them in my foodie to, to keep warm and then make the pot stickers in the same pan. But I was actually able to just take the pot stickers, throw them in the foodie, crank it up, hit the button, and then just make the scallion pancakes. Anyway, chef's kiss. It was so good. Um, It is my favorite monthly, um, monthly brunch and I only make it monthly so that I don't eat it every week. Um, I like to, I like to make it a treat. I eat it like the last weekend of the month um, just so that I look forward to it each, each week. It's been a thing I've been doing since the pandemic and um, it's Senda's recipe. She gave me the recipe for it from Bon Appetit um, and it's great. So uh, that's me. Why don't we, um, why don't we do a thing? Wrap us, uh, wrap us up. We'll get into the after show. We would like to thank the following patrons, Chris Mead. Craig Duffy, Dan Simons, David Walker, Drew Smith, Secret Weapon of the Show, our very own Glenn Seiler from our NBA mm-hmm. game and our iHunt game and every other game. Uh, good guy, good guy. Jason, Jason game. Yep. Jason Pinella, Jason Pitt, Gene Lorbear, and Jeff Stevens. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, not next week. Um, hmm. But the week after, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you can't make the live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Star Trek Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, the FM Gamers, Panda's Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Mu Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, the Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and VS. Indeed, indeed. After you have grabbed that piece, dusted it off, and put it on the shelf to admire with the rest of your collection, take a picture and then leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show, the network is at misdirectedmark. He is Robert M. Everson. He is Jim Gerrymander. I am DNA if you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Panda Stocking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Panda Stocking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out. <laughs>